Welcome to the First Time Facilitator Podcast. Whether you're a first-time facilitator or a seasoned pro, listen in for tips and tricks to make a bigger impact at the next workshop you deliver. And now, your host, Leanne Hughes. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Leanne Hughes, and I'm here to help you design fast, deliver strong without the stress. Welcome back to another episode of the First Time Facilitator podcast. I hope you enjoyed the replay of last week's conversation with Michael Grinder. I think it's a phenomenal conversation. I really wanted to call it out as one. Today, I'm going to go on a solo riff and really get into some geeky detail. I think the biggest response I always get is from when I go like on a deep dive and go really niche and be like, hey, this is actually how I do things. And so today, the topic is really around the keep section out of the Spark framework. And if that makes no sense to you, (laughs) you can hear all about it or read all about it in my book, The Two-Hour Workshop Blueprint. It's now available on Audible. But the reason I am riffing on this at the moment is because I broke my own rules. I I do it all the time. I I kind of joke about it. Like I say things and then sometimes I'll do the opposite. I think they always say like, write the book that you need. And the two-hour workshop blueprint is a book that I needed and I needed to reinforce some ideas and ways of thinking just for myself. Even this podcast, First Time Facilitator, it started because I was thrown in the deep end of having to run workshops around the world. The first time I did it, it took me forever to design. And there's that origin story of when I was in Canada and something happened in the workshop. I got back to Brisbane. I rang up every facilitator friend and said, what would you have done? So there's an element of of scratching your own itch. And I think with a book as well, it's like reinforcing these messages and messages that maybe you can commit to. That's the solo riff is actually on the key part of the Spark framework, which is all about How do you retain what worked well, reflect on maybe what didn't, so that the next time you design something, it's easier. So this is about the continuous improvement element. And I think it's an often forgotten step. And I'm actually even surprised I wrote about it. But I think it's the most important part, actually, of the Spark framework, something that a lot of people don't talk about, um, is that, you know, we put a lot of effort into the setup and the start of something, but actually the end and for our own continuous development, how do we make it easier? How do we automate it? How do we systemize it? How do we make it more joyful so that when we design next time, uh, it's important? And this is quite topical for me. I'm designing a couple of webinars that are coming up that are kind of pivot off a topic, which is this is more for leaders and making their meetings come to life. And I've run numerous sessions related to this, but I want to do a different spin on it. I can't deliver modules as is. I need to sort of take activities out from various sections and weave them together. So how am I approaching that? That's what we'll talk about today. Thanks for being here. And by the way, if you're not already in the Flipchart Facebook group, there's over 2,200 facilitators from all over the world in there sharing their questions on workshops, their favorite icebreakers. Uh, So join in. It's free and it's on Facebook. Link is in the show notes for this one. All right, so I brought up the context very briefly. I'm designing a couple of webinars coming up that are really based around some of the philosophies in the two-hour workshop blueprint in terms of engagement. So helping leaders really get contribution from their meetings. And these meetings are both face-to-face and they're virtual. And so, like I said, over the years, I've done sessions, so many to name, like so many of these sessions. So it's like, okay, how do I actually approach this? And I'm going through my own framework. So Spark is the framework that underpins the book, The Two-Hour Workshop Blueprint. So what that is, it's a linear process of designing a workshop. So S is for setup, finding out what the experience you want to create, more about the participants and the audience that are coming along, and then sort of drafting that high-level mini mission statement of what you want to achieve from it. P is for power up. So how do you get yourself into state and how do you get your group into state? So they engage early and engage often, even engaging with your participants before the session has started. 
So for the sessions for these webinars that I have coming up, I have created a video ask survey. And so that's really, really helpful because I can see like I've given them options like, hey, are you delivering in-person or virtual? Click one. And so they'll do that. This is all delivered on video, by the way. So it takes me like a minute to record it. I slice it into three sections. So there's like a 20 second question from me. Then they respond. If you want to take a look at what video ask looks like, uh, check, go into my website, leannehughes.com, and you can see how it's set up on, right on the front page there. I've just got a video ask when people arrive at my site. Anyway, so these responses are coming in, so that gives me fuel and intel for what modules I might need to craft this. A is then for activities rather than content. Okay, a lot of people talk about workshop content. I talk about workshop activities because I believe if people are there live, they need to be just doing something that's interactive and engaging. Otherwise, just do a video, do a podcast. Like it's if it's a one-way information spin just and you need no feedback or you don't want to encourage a conversation, that's fine. I mean, there's purpose and reasons you do that, of course, but don't make it a workshop. The workshop is for that live experience and the interaction. So I think the bulk of your workshop should be activities and that's related to this key part. And then the R is for review and that's actually buffering in a bit of time in your workshop. I joked in Perth the other day, one of my, again, I wrote the book that I needed because a lot of the time in workshops, I get so carried away and having so much fun and it's the interaction's going really great that in the last five minutes, like, okay, let's, let's quickly reflect out. And I don't think I buffer in enough reflection time into my session. So in the book, I give like 15 to 20 minutes of review, reflections, questions and closing out because how often in life do we actually do that? So that's S-P-A-R. Then the K, which I'm really focused on today is keep. And this is more about a personal uh, organizational tool. So after the session, how do you personally retain and reflect on yourself? What worked well in that session? What tools and resources could be useful for future sessions? And where do you store that information so that next time you're delivering a session, it's easier for you to design because you've got a place to store all these documents. And it's interesting and over... 200 podcast conversations now, what, 200, what, 230 now. I only recall one facilitator, us actually talking about this, and that was with Sally Foley Lewis. And this is like pre-50 episodes, like in the first 50 episodes I spoke to her. And she was talking about how she saves and organizes her slides you know, and puts like commentary around it so it's easy to find. But I'm so curious, like how do you organize your facilitator stuff. What I want to show you, if you are uh, watching this on YouTube, you might see this big orange display folder. I have like maybe seven or eight of these and you might be able to hear me flicking through it if you're listening to the podcast. What I store in here for every session, like sometimes it's like might be just copy of slide handouts. My spark sheet is what I save in here, my spark sheet for virtual sessions any type of um, accompanying material. So I might have like handouts. If you can see it here, I've got um, like really bright post-it notes and things there. So, cause it's so easy to forget what you've delivered in the past. And sometimes I even surprise myself going, oh wow, I didn't realize I did this activity. That was really awesome. Now, now let's bring it back in. So I've got quite a few of these saved and you might ask me, are they um, organized by any theme or topic? Not really. They're organized more chronologically. This folder is from this year and I might have ones, yeah, just going back sort of four or five years. And it's interesting, like sometimes going back into the folder from four years ago, seeing some of the spark sheets and ideas and things. So a spark sheet is, is, is basically what I call the run sheet. Um, what I created back then that I'm like, oh, that's such a cool activity. I totally forgot about that. I'm sharing this as a work in progress. I don't have this complete format 
completely defined. And so I'm curious to hear from anyone in the world that is doing this really well and cataloging their run sheets really well. But what has served me is creating my Spark sheets on the cloud. So using Google Docs. And why I love it so much is because I can search for a word, I can search for virtual workshops or meetings or engagement or collaboration, and it'll just show me all the documents that have that word in it. And because of the thumbnails that Google Docs shows, I can see whether it's a Spark sheet, whether it's, you know, it even searches Google Slides as well. It's such a really clever way of, of doing that. And I think, you know, back in the day, when we used to use old inboxes, it was important to file things into different folders. But now I, I personally don't file any emails. And I don't know if you're listening to this and shuddering, <laughs> but there's no point. Like the search functionality is so good now. Why would I? And I find it's the same with Google Docs. Like the search functionality is brilliant. And if I can recall a session where I did something, I'll just search for it and I'll open up these tabs and I can see it. The other thing, I mean, so that's a good way of, of like going, all right, cool. So I have like, you know, 10 different tabs open. I'll just go through these Spark sheets and go, all right, here's the cool activity I did. I can weave that in. But the other, what I prefer most of all is actually just grabbing the display wallet, this physical document here. And I find it more joyful, like grabbing a cup of coffee, getting away from screens, not having any screens actually, and just going through and going, seeing what I did. And that might trigger some new ideas and new activities as well. So getting just the paper based out. And just alone with my thoughts and thinking, how could these things connect together? So, so that's my call out. Use a cloud-based tool if you are designing. Um, my fear of using anything like Microsoft Word or like offline, I mean, that's cloud as well. But if you're just saving it to your local doc, you can search within your computer. So uh, Apple has a really good search functionality as well. But I just prefer the Google search. I think it's so much better. If you're designing in Notion, same thing, like any type of cloud-based tool, which allows you to search for words or phrases and be defined in that and searches like Google Slides and everything else I think is wonderful. There's also another element of Keep that I think is in terms of recall personally, and that is something that was called out to me. I don't even, I don't even think that I'm that good at this, but I've had numerous people comment on it. Um, it came out last Friday in Perth at our leaders lunch with Melissa Lithgow. Wonderful afternoon. So someone would say something and it would trigger me to say like share a Tim Ferriss quote or something I'd heard before. And like, Leanne, how do you re recall all these quotes in the moment? And I think it relates to, I did a podcast episode about my 12 rules for life uh, when I turned 40 about double clicking everyday moments. So when I hear a quote that just totally, it's like a mic drop moment for me, I will either write it down or I'll repeat it back and I just really make an effort to think about it. And then, you know, why is it so important to me? And I don't, not necessarily write it down, but if it's such a strong quote and a mic drop moment and it hits me, I know that someday that might, that quote might hit someone else. And so I just, yeah, I just gather it. I kind of store it somewhere. I don't know. And then, yeah, it just emerges. So sorry, there's no real hack to it. It's more about having the awareness to consciously notice it and consciously hear it and, and just think of those words and then see it, like see those words in your own mind so that you can draw it out next time. And that's probably it as well as like, we, we know the forgetting curve. If you don't use that quote within a day or two, you'll forget about it. So then how do you weave it into the next conversation? I think it's the same as if you're trying to learn new vocab, if you're trying to learn a new word of the day, it's like, just use that word that day and it will reinforce right? Um, over time. Journaling, journaling is another great way. You can recall it as well. Like just write it in your journal. Hey, here's a great quote I learned today. But yeah, again, keen to hear your ideas. 
So Keep not only covers your own worship design and how you find the tools and things like that. So like I shared before, display folder, using the cloud. I also have like awesome books, uh, you know, like the story cookbook by Dr. Catherine Lloyd and Andrew Rickson. They've been on the show a couple of times. I've got post-it notes and I've just like saved my favorite, like bookmarked those activities in that book. If I know that I want like a story share in a workshop, I'll go to that book and I just will find the ones that I've shortlisted already. And that's a way of shortcutting the whole process of like having to manually go through a book. What I try to resist the most, the most is going onto Google and searching for an activity or going onto yeah, Session Lab because I find that just, just clicking around. I don't know. I, I'd rather just and I think I'm lucky because I've got a bank of activities now that have served me over time. And so this is the whole thing about experience is that, and you know what works in certain contexts or what you do differently. So keep is around your own design, but it's also around giving the group the resources following the workshop. Now, this is hilarious because I ran a rooftop workshop in Perth. I've spoken about it um, in the intro to last week's episode that was run on Thursday. And I sent the workshop show notes out the following Wednesday. And that was terrible because I keep saying in the book, like within 24 hours, get the show notes out. And I didn't. I mean, I was traveling and I have all the excuses in the world, but I should have had those show notes out because uh, what I talk about in the book is you kind of know what show notes you're going to share after the workshop. It's not like it's a surprise. There might be one or two things you mention off the cuff in the workshop or that someone else raises and you think, oh, we'll link to that. What workshop show notes are is kind of like, it was a joke. My friend Steph Clark has a podcast and a few years ago, she, she sent me a text saying um, that the resources for the workshop would be available in the show notes because that's what podcast hosts say. So she actually, she said that in a workshop and I thought, oh, I like that idea of workshop show notes, you know, like a podcast show note. If you like an episode, if we talk about a particular book or a quote, if you've got good show notes, you'll find the resources in that. And I thought it's the same for workshop show notes. It's You have a lot of great conversations, uh, recommendations and videos and podcasts uh, shared in that. And people want to know, how do I get the link for that? And so my rec- recommendation is to send that out within 24 hours of your session, like as, as soon as you can really while it's fresh. And so the joke is that, yeah, I break my own rule. And for Perth, my problem was I didn't create the show notes before the workshop. So that's what I suggest because usually after a workshop, you're pretty, I mean, like I was traveling, I had another workshop on, you you might be a bit drained, you might be social because you might be traveling somewhere else, but there's always something else on after the workshop, right? There's always, you know, you've done the workshop and you kind of move on. So what I like to do is, and when I'm on, you know, best practice, Leanne, is I'll set up the show notes beforehand. So I might share, like have the slide handouts there. If I have slides, I might have uh, quotes or if I know I'm doing a session, say, on coaching, right? I've linked to MBS's book or a really cool article. Like I've got my bank of resources. And so what I encourage uh, readers to do and even myself is start setting up these bank of resources in advance. The hard part is doing it when you need to, which is what struck me the other week. I knew that I was delivering a two-hour workshop and I knew what content I was covering and I knew what type of books and podcast episodes would be useful so I could have just set that up in advance on a Google Doc in Notion. I talk about Notion as a really great tool to do that, or even on my own website. I'll share in this episode the show notes I created for the Perth workshop. So you can see I created that in my on my website so I could embed um, a couple of podcasts and things like that. The good news is that I've created this now. So if I run another sort of similar two-hour workshop, Rooftop Extravaganza, I can duplicate this page. I can change the photos around, of course, but I can start adding to the bank of resources that might be mentioned. And hey, if I don't mention them 
in the workshop. It doesn't matter. I can still link to them. That's still useful. But it's more about saving future Leanne from admin heartache (laughs) by creating this in advance. So for this upcoming webinar, I mean, like I said, I've delivered so many workshops on how do you get engagement and contribution like from a leadership perspective. So all I need to do now is find one, duplicate it. I might even have a Spotify playlist or I think I've created a list of videos that really relate to virtual engagement, which include the interview with Mark Bowden. So these like these go-to resources, I'm just going to embed them already. And then once the workshop is over, I'll just think about, oh, what else did I mention or have to talk about? It's only adding one or two more links in. And then I just send that to the client and go, here it is. You know, send them some screenshots of the Zoom call and we're done. As opposed to having to create a brand new show notes resource every single time. And this again goes back to the whole double click everyday moment. So if I'm listening to a podcast episode, I'm like, oh, this is so good. This would be so helpful for the leaders that I work with. I will save that to a playlist within Spotify. So now I'm starting to gather playlists. I've got one for uh, if you want, if you're a solopreneur and you need to create content or you're scared of showing up on, on video or social media, I've got, I've got playlists within Spotify based along all these different topics. But I even might even start a first time facilitator, virtual facilitation, best of playlist, right? And so then it's like, here are the five episodes you need to listen to that relate to virtual facilitation or here are five episodes. If you're starting a facilitation business, that'd be really helpful. So it's just a playlist. I can embed it. I can share it. You know what I mean? So it's just in the moment, save it, save it up so that it saves you time in future. And this kind of relates to Matthew Dix in his book, Storyworthy. He says, every day we should be doing homework for life. Just reflecting on the day and going, what's a five second story from today? What's something that's different? What did I learn from it? And you just throw it into an Excel spreadsheet or just notes on your phone in a table. I know Jenny Blake uses Notion to save her homework for life because the hardest thing is if you're doing a speech or running a workshop and you need a story is actually thinking of one on the spot. Isn't it the hardest thing ever? And so when you're creating show notes as well, sometimes it's hard to think, what's a podcast? What's a book? What's something that really stood out for me? But if you start collecting all the stuff on the go, if you start living like the keep mindset every day, uh, hashtagging in notes, whatever you find helpful, whatever you can access that's easy for you. And I think everyone has their own sort of style and way of doing it. Tiago Fort talks about outsourcing, like creating a second brain. I don't think my second brain is that. It's not amazingly cataloged, but I... I personally know where I can access things when I need to, through my Google Docs, through notes, through my paper printouts. That's how I do it. And that's intentional. So my question for you is, what could you intentionally do um, for you that will help you access resources when you need to? How can you create templates for things that you talk about, resources, and just really capture your expertise in a way so that you can deliver with speed resources immediately after your session is over. Okay, that's it for me. Again, I'm sorry. I'd love to hear from you and uh, what you're discovering, what tools you use to save your resources in. Let me know. Hello at leannehughes.com. Connect on LinkedIn or I'll see you in the flip chart. Chat to you next week.